Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Well, again, it is so good to see every one of you here at the Civic Center. Hey, before we jump into the message, I want to take a moment, do something we do every Sunday. As I look into the camera, I want to welcome our online church family. Come on, everybody here in the room at the Civic Center, do something for me. Throw your hands together and welcome those who are joining us online today. Yeah, I just want to take a moment and let you know you are our family. We're so glad that you're along for the ride. However, you're joining us. We're just so thankful that you are with us today. Uh, I want to just remind every single one of you that we are a message note-taking church. It simply means we love to take notes here at One Life Church. You can find our notes at OLC Notes. Uh, you can text OLC Notes to 94000. It'll send a link to your phone, and you can click that link. It'll open up the notes there. You can follow along. You can fill in the blank. It's always been my desire to encourage you, to inspire you, but it's also been my desire to teach you and to put God's word in your hand. And if there's ever a message that's going to be very practical that I believe applies to every single one of us in our relationships, it is the one that I'm going to give you today. And so if you're married, if you're not married, if you're single, wherever you are, if you're doing relationships with anybody, could I encourage you today to text OLC notes to 94,000. And I believe that it will be an inspiration and encouragement and practical tool to help you not only on Sunday, but you know, when things hit the fan on Monday, come on somebody, because you know, that's going to happen, right? And so, uh, I would encourage you. Text OLC notes to 94,000. All right, you guys are closing out a series today. We're calling It's Complicated, but it doesn't have to be. I hope you've enjoyed this series. It's really been a relationship series with a goal of helping you uh, wherever you are in your journey with relationships. And one of the big questions we began to ask this last week, and this is kind of a part two of last week, uh, and that is, are great marriages possible? In other words, are great relationships possible? And many of us, if we're honest, we're like, we're not really sure if they are possible uh, for various reasons, because of difficulties, challenges, disagreements, conflicts, different things that we've experienced on bad days. And many of us, we look at this question and we bought into this, this lie, which is like, you know what? It's just not possible, especially in the culture that we're in today. And in fact, I would say, I get it. I understand it. I've been there before. Before. In fact, Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, would even say, listen, I get it. And so therefore, he says something to us addressing this. And in the context of relationships, look at this, Mark 10, 27. Jesus says, for people like this kind of living, having great marriages in this kind of culture in this day and age, it seems impossible. Like it is impossible. But when you involve God in the process, when you allow him to be a part of the relationship, look at this, all things are possible. Come on, somebody. This is good news. So the question then is, well, what do we do? Like, how do we live this thing out? What are the choices that we need to make? Well, the choice that I'm encouraging us to, especially today, is that we need to make a choice to live different. So I referenced this verse last week. We're going to reference it again today as we close out this series. Look at Romans 12, 1 through 2. It says, guys, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, especially in the context of relationships. 
Why? That's a good question. Why? Because when we look at the world and its ways, it has a tendency to overcomplicate things, especially in the context of relationships. But the good news is it doesn't have to be that way. Look at the rest of the verse. Let God, here's the point that's very important, let God transform you into a new person. Listen, how? How does this work? How? How does it work? By changing the way you and I think. I love this. It comes down to our thinking. Well, why is this important? Tells us in the rest of the verse. Because then you will learn to know God's will for your life, your marriage, your home, your relationships, your finances. You will learn to know God's will for your life when you allow God to transform you and you take next steps by changing the way that you think. And so back to the question, are great marriages possible? Yes, great marriages are absolutely possible if you stop buying into the world system and allow God to transform you, changing the way you think. So this series, and especially today, would be no different. This is a change your thinking series. This is giving us a new way to think about things. And so in week one, we talked about living a sanctified life. In week two, we talked about living in love. Last week, we talked about communication, gave you some new thinking around that topic. And today, are you ready for it? Drum roll, please. Please, today we're talking about handling conflict. I didn't think I'd get a lot of amens on that, right? Uh, In fact, when I was thinking about doing this message, I was a little conflicted around the topic of conflict, to be honest with you. Now listen, conflict is just something that is unavoidable. It is like the snow in Idaho. It's not a matter of if it's going to snow, it's just a matter of, hey, when is it going to snow? So conflict, conflict, that's what we're going to talk about today. So to help me get started, I think it's important for us to understand where conflict comes from. Like what causes conflict? We need to understand this in order to identify it so we know how to move forward. So number one, if you're taking notes, write this down, and that is poor communication. Poor communication. In fact, most conflict starts really small, but somehow, some way, we tend to make it worse when we do what? When we open our mouth, right? And if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because it really sets up the day. It is really all about communication and how to communicate God's way in relationships. But poor communication, look at Proverbs 21, 23, the message. You know, God says, listen, we need to watch our words. We need to learn how to hold our tongue. Why? Because you'll save yourself a whole lot of emotional pain agony, despair, and gloom. Like you'll save yourself from, what does it say? From grief. You'll save yourself from grief in your marriage, in your home, in your life. When we learn how to keep a tight rein on our tongue. And so note to self, this is something that I've learned going on 16 years of marriage in April. Just because it pops in your head doesn't mean you necessarily need to say it. My wife is laughing on the front row, right? (laughs) So an incredible prayer to pray comes out of this verse out of Psalms 141.3. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. In fact, I would encourage all of us to pray this. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door. Notice that it's a door. What do doors do? They open and close, right? Like watch, set a watch over the door of my lips. 
And so when it comes to the words that we choose, we have a choice. We can speak life or we can speak death. And many of us choose the latter. And so when we choose the latter, we're not necessarily resolving conflict with our words. We're actually causing more conflict because of our poor communication. So number one is poor communication. Look at the second cause of conflict. Number two, that's unfulfilled expectations. Unfulfilled expectations. In fact, all conflict, all issues begin with unfulfilled expectations. Have you ever noticed that you never get angry when things are going right? We only get angry, we only get upset, we only get mad, we only get frustrated when we have expectations that aren't met or that aren't fulfilled. That's why Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, when things don't go your way, it leads to anger, it leads to frustration, it leads to conflict, it leads to a heart that is sick. However, when things do go your way, like when the longing is fulfilled, man, that's like living in the tree of life. That's when things are going well, things are blessed, you have this peace, and it's like, ah, this is amazing. In fact, I love how James, chapter four, one through two, James asks this rhetorical question. He knows the answer to it, but I like the way he leads in this. He says, guys, what causes conflict? Like what causes fights? What causes this quarreling in your marriage, in your, in your day-to-day, in your relationships? And he says, don't they come from your desires, that battle from within you? It's like you want something, but you don't get it. Like when you're driving to work on Monday and you're mad because there's so much traffic in the road, why are you mad? Well, ultimately you're mad because you think you deserve a highway free of cars, right? And some of you are like, you're mad at the neighbor's barking dog that's yapping and causing so much noise when you're at home alone and trying to get some peace and quiet. You're mad, why? Because you deserve peace and quiet with no noise and just a book and a cup of tea. Come on, somebody, right? In fact, James finishes this. He says, listen, with your unfulfilled expectations, it's always gonna lead to conflict. You kill, you covet, you cannot have what you want. So what do you do? You quarrel, you fight, you have conflict. Why? Because you ultimately don't involve God in the process. What's he say? He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Many of us were expecting from people what only God can fulfill. And because we're looking to to people to fulfill our needs and in place of God, what's happening is it leaves us frustrated It leaves us in complicated and conflicted relationships. And it's my hope today, my friends and my family, that we walk out of here today allowing God to transform us into a new person by changing the way that we think about relationships, especially around this idea of conflict. We've got to get to the place where we stop looking to people to fulfill us and we get back to the place where we start looking to the only one who can fulfill us, the only one who can bring freedom. His name is Jesus and Jesus Christ is the only one who will ever be able to satisfy our soul and fulfill our deepest needs. This is what scripture teaches us. So what causes conflict? Poor communication, this unfulfilled expectations. Number three, despising differences despising differences. You know, it's amazing to me that when you're dating, how opposites attract, right? Woo, man, that brother is so laid back. He is so chill. I love it. He's got this free spirit about him. Like when you're, when you're dating, the things that are opposite of you attract you. But the moment you get married, it's amazing how no longer do opposites attract. Opposites 
attack. Come on, Mary folk, where you at? And so what used to look attractive like this whole free spirit, now, ladies, you're frustrated because, man, he is so lazy. He hadn't taken out the trash. He hadn't done the dishes. And all he wants to do when he comes home is play video games. It's cute, that free spirit when he's dating. But now when you're married, it's like, come on, where's the plan, brother? Right? And so I could just tell you this living truth, living proof. And uh, Linda and I, we are polar opposites absolutely polar opposites. In fact, in our Discover class and Purpose, we do this little personality profile and it kind of gives you this letter uh, D for like dominant, I for like just outgoing and S and C for more like the planners and everything. And, and so I'm like a DI. My wife is an SC. We spell disc. Like we have all the personalities that exist in humanity in our home. And so I'm a dreamer, I'm a visionary, I'm out front, I'm loud, let's go do this thing. And Linda's behind the scenes, she's quiet, she's a planner, and she's like, how are we going to do this thing? You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it's one thing to have dreams and a vision, but let's be real. Can we roll it back and be a little practical here? That's going to take a lot of money that we don't have, right? You know, and we're polar opposites. You know, it's oftentimes in a marriage and a relationship, we have the choice that our differences can be something that irritate us or they can be something that's very important to us. We can either value the difference, or we can either devalue the difference. And just, I mean, come on, LA Rams just won the Super Bowl, everybody, right? Come on, any LA Rams fans in the house? Nobody? All right, sorry. (laughs) But think about this just for a second. In order to win the Super Bowl or a championship at all, you don't need all 11 guys weighing 350 pounds on the team. To have a great team that wins any kind of championship, no, you're going to have about five guys that weigh around 350, and then you're going to have another six guys on the team that are a little bit taller, skinnier, and faster, right? And so why? Because to win championships, you can't just be the same. You've got to understand and value each other's differences and what you bring to the table because your differences whether they irritate you or they're important to you, your differences are what make a great team. And the same is true in marriage. You're going to never win a marriage until you get to the place where you understand each other's differences and you begin to value those differences within the team that God has put together. Look at this, Mark 3, 25. Guys, if a house is divided against itself, like if there's these these despising differences where you're not valuing each other's uh, differences, that house cannot, will never stand. It just won't ever stand. And so I'm just saying, guys, let it be said of us. As for me and my house and our home and our marriages and our relationships, let it be said of us that when it comes to our differences, that we get to a place where we don't despise the differences, but that we value the differences, that we come to understand the differences, and that we begin to apply that in our marriage so that way we can be a great team and a great family. This is good preaching, Rhett. Thank you so much. Talking about what causes conflict before we talk about how to handle it. Uh, Poor communication, unfilled expectation, despising differences. And here's number four, and ultimately that is, it's our sin nature. It's our sin nature. And the truth is, every single one of us deal with this, including the one that's speaking to you two feet up off the ground on this stage today. We all deal with this. In fact, if you've been here for a while, you've probably heard me say this. But my friends, we all have issues. All God's children got issues. And if you're here today and you don't think you got an issue, well, my brother, my sister, that is your issue. 
right? We're all dealing with issues. We've all got this sin nature. Why? Because we are human. Let me remind you, Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned. Like every single one of us, we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. So I've got a question. Have you ever wondered why is it that we expect more from people than we're willing to give ourselves? Think about this. When we mess up, we all want to experience grace, don't we? Like when I screw up, I really want Linda to provide grace to me. But what's interesting is when other people mess up, it's like I don't want to extend grace. It's like we all expect our imperfections, but none of us are willing to admit and expect, every, we're expecting everyone else to be perfect, is what I'm trying to say. Like we expect our imperfections, but we expect everybody else to be perfect. And I'm just saying this shouldn't be, because why? No one gets it right all the time. No one gets it right all the time. As good as you are, you don't get it right all the time. Why? Because you and I, we are human. We're human. But I'm just saying, thanks be to God, Romans 7, 25, when it comes to our sin nature, look at this, Romans 7, 25, thanks be to God who delivers me from my sinful nature through who? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's through Jesus that we have hope. It's through Jesus we have freedom. It's through Jesus that we have fulfillment. It's through Jesus that annihilates that sinful nature to allow us to get to the place that we can handle conflict God's way in a healthy way. And so when it comes to conflict, there's basically four ways that you can deal with it. And the first one is, it's my way. It's my way or the highway. <laughs> like I'm the boss, I'm the head honcho, what I say goes. And if not, well, there's the door, right? It's my way. And many of us lead this way. The second way is, well, it's your way. In other words, we just don't want to fight, man. And so in order to keep the peace, we'll just say, okay, whatever. And we'll suppress our emotions. We'll suppress our anger. And we'll suppress in order to try just to keep peace in the home just so that we're not miserable. But the truth is when we suppress that and we're living for peace in the home, we're really not okay. We're really miserable in here. And at some point... At some point, that pressure is going to release and it's just going to be World War III in a home. And so there's your way, there's my, there's my way, there's your way, and here's number three, and there's halfway. And this is basically when you're handling conflict, you're like, I'll, I'll just let you get your way 50% of the time if you'll let me get my way 50% of the time. And ultimately, that leads us, now we're both mad just 50% of the time, <laughs> right? So that way doesn't work. So I'm just here to submit to you there's a better way to resolve conflict, and that is, number four, that is God's way. It's God's way. So when it comes to handling conflict, God's way, uh, what does it look like? What does it look like? Well, I want to take one more look at Romans 12, 1 through 2. This is kind of our theme verse. He says, when it comes to relationships, and especially around this idea of conflict, because we've got to come to the place where we don't copy the world, the behavior and the customs of this world, but instead, we've got to let God transform us into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Now, time out. Notice for a second, it doesn't say changing the way they think. It's personal. It's changing the way you think. I think. So if we're ever going to have a great marriage, what it's ultimately saying is that the respon- we have a responsibility in the process of changing the way we think. And so my ultimate job as a pastor is to present God's word to you today in a way that would provoke 
some new thinking that aligns to what God says. So I'm gonna give you four ways that you can resolve conflict God's way. Now, check this out. This is not an exhaustive list, okay? So it's incomplete, but we don't have that much time in the day, okay? So I'm gonna give you four ways that God teaches us how we can resolve conflict in any relationship, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a brother, sister, whatever it may look like. And that is, number one, write this down. You will need this for a rainy day, okay? I will act, not react. I will act and not react. In other words, I'm no longer going to blow up and lose my lid and lose my control and then wait for Sunday to roll around to say, I'm sorry. No, I'm going to go ahead and pre-decide and make a pre-decision for my response when the rainy day comes. And so I've shared this before, but I want to share it again. Uh, Linda and I, we, we have what we call a pre-fight plan. Anybody watch MMA fighters, right? If you're into wrestling or anything like that, they always go into the fight. They know what they're going into, right? They've studied their opponent right? They know exactly what's about to happen. So they go into it with a game plan. They don't wait for the fight to begin. They have it before it begins, right? And so Linda and I, my pastor taught us this. We have a pre-fight game plan. Now it used to be written on paper. Now it's just written on our hearts, okay? And so I want to give you some tools to help you act and not react to go ahead and have a pre-game decision made for when the rainy day comes or when the snow comes called conflict. So you ready for this? Write this down. You might not need it today, but you're going to need it at some point, all right? You got to make the choice, number one, to put off until tomorrow. Don't put off until tomorrow what you need to do today, Don't put off until tomorrow what you need to do today. Why? Because time is short. My friends, we are not promised tomorrow. Our life is but a mist. It's but a vapor. We're here one moment. We're gone the next. Life is short. And so when you begin to choose the perspective to see it at a bigger picture that we're only given a short time span of life to make the most of it, it helps us handle conflict a little bit different. In fact, this was inspired by Ephesians chapter 4, 26 through 27. Look at this. In your anger, do not sin. Now, time out for a second. It is not saying that anger is a sin. That's not what it's saying. It's saying in your anger, do not sin. When I was growing up, I used to have the picture, a mental picture, that this was saying I do not have the right to become angry. And that is not what this is saying. Did you know that anger is a human emotion that God created in you and in me? In fact, God shows us the emotion all throughout scripture. In fact, Jesus even showed this emotion. So the emotion is to be human. We cannot suppress the emotion of anger. We have every right to be angry. We have every right to be frustrated. But what we've got to learn in the moment is to sit with that and ask us the question, why am I angry? Because it's there to teach me something. And then it's there for me to understand what that is so then I know how to respond in a positive and effective way for change. And so all of this to say, in your anger, it's okay to be angry. Just don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. This is a lot easier said than done, right? But what it's basically trying to let us know is we need to work to resolve the conflict today. 
Why? Because if we wait till tomorrow, look at the rest of the verse. If we wait till tomorrow, we could open the door to the enemy. That's why it says, I just don't want you to give a foothold to the devil. So when it's possible, and it's not always possible, because not everybody's willing to show up and play ball, you know, but when it's possible, don't go to sleep until you settle it. Don't go to sleep until you say, do we get this right all the time? Absolutely not. But when it is possible, we're going to do our best to understand why that emotion's there, to process that in a healthy way. If that means I'm going to step aside, go gather my thoughts, and then understand why it's there, and then be able to come back and create a safe place where I can express it with love and with grace and with truth in hopes to bring healing and health to the relationship or to the marriage. Okay? Look at this. It says, Trent Shelton was a former NFL player, now motivational speaker. I love this quote. He says this, never waste an opportunity to express your love to someone. Like never waste an opportunity to resolve conflict when you can. Why? Because another opportunity is something that life can't promise. Can't promise. Number two, pre-fight plan. I'm not going to call names. Don't call names. Just because you're feeling insecure in the moment doesn't give you the right to degrade or belittle someone just in hopes to make yourself feel a little bit better about yourself. We've got to get to the place where we're no longer calling names. Look at Proverbs 18.21. I shared this last week, but it's an important reminder. The tongue, something that every single one of us have in this room or online, your tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it, will eat its fruit. So here's my question. What are you bringing to the table? Because you reap what you sow. If you don't like what you're getting, then what are you giving? Sure is quiet in here. So we've got to ask ourselves, Lord God, what am I bringing to the table? What's happening in my home? What's coming out of my mouth, God? I've got to learn how to control this. I'm not going to call names. Thirdly, my pre-fight plan is when I get into conflict, I'm also not going to raise my voice. I'm not going to raise my voice. This goes for men and women. Guys, you can say what you need to say without getting loud. In fact, Proverbs 15.1 tells us that a gentle answer, what does it do? It will calm a person's anger. It has the power to diffuse tense situations. But an unkind answer... When you get loud and you start calling each other's names, what? it causes more anger. It just repeats the cycle in the process of just this conflict. It doesn't resolve anything. Are great marriages possible? Yes, you got to do some things God's way. You got to make some pre-fight plans. You got to make some choices. I'm not going to put off tomorrow what I need to do today. I'm not going to call names. I'm not going to raise my voice. Here's number four. Don't get hysterical. I'm, no, I'm sorry. Don't get historical. Don't get historical. Men and women, some of you have a gift from God, and that gift is called a photographic memory. And it's amazing how you have this gift that you can remember every single detail, every single word that was said, all the way down to what the weather was, where the sun was, and where the wind was blowing down to what color shoes somebody was wearing in that conversation. You have a photographic memory, and it is a gift from God given to you on purpose for a purpose. And I'm just here to remind you that if you have that gift, please remember that gift was given you 
given to you to love people and to serve people, not to hurt people. And we can't get historical. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love, everybody say love. Love, it just keeps no record of wrongs. It's not historical. Love doesn't hurt by bringing up past pain. No. Here's the fifth and final pre-fight rule that we have, and that is, guys, don't threaten divorce. Don't threaten divorce. It's really hard to handle conflict God's way when one or the other is constantly living in fear that you're going to bail on them. It's hard to handle conflict when somebody's constantly just overridden by fear that you're about to walk out the door. 1 John 4.18 says, guys, there is no fear in love, but perfect love. The goal, my hope, is that the love of Christ in us and through us as believers in this room, perfect love, that kind of love, what does it do? It doesn't cause fear. It doesn't inflict fear. No, it drives out fear. So two words that don't exist in our dictionary or in our home is the word impossible, is nothing is impossible with God, and divorce. Those words do not exist in our vocabulary. They are not heard in our home, and they are not in our Webster's Dictionary paper edition. They are cut out. Anybody remember those? Linda doesn't have to live in fear. I don't have to live in fear that somebody's going to bail at some point. And I told her, I said, if you leave me, I'm just packing my bags and I'm following you, girl, wherever you go. You know what I'm saying? You're stuck with me like glue. Just trying to give you some practical tools to handle conflict God's way. My friends, it's important that we learn to act and not react. We've got to have a set of pre-fight rules, rules of engagement, you know. Number two, here's number two. Is that we got to learn how to focus on the good things in each other. Yes. I'll focus on the good things in you. And by the way, I should have put every day. Because this is like an everyday decision. Like, this is not a one and done, right? And so Philippians 4, 8 through 9, you've heard this verse before. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or if anything is praiseworthy, make the choice and think about such things. I'll be honest with you. I know that this can be difficult, especially in the heat of a moment or, you know, the fight or conflict that's been happening in your home for a while. But if the only good that you can see in somebody in the moment is, girl, the way you cut that crust off my son's bread when you're making his lunch, it's good. <laughs> Ladies, if the only good thing that you can find about your husband is, man, the way that you open the door and don't let it hit you on the way out when it comes back in, it's, it's good. You open that door like a man. I appreciate that. Now, I'm being funny, but there's truth in it. Sometimes it's really hard to find some good things, but God has called us to find those good things, even if it's as small and as little as something as silly as I'm making it out to be. Because the ultimate promise is, look at this, is that the God of peace, and this is what I want for every home, every marriage, every relationship, is that the God of peace will be with you in your home, your marriage, your family, at work, on the job, wherever it might be. This is our hope for you. So my prayer is, God, change our thinking. We're going to allow you to transform us into a new person by aligning our thoughts to what your word says, especially when it comes to relationships and conflict. Number three, taking notes, write this down. I'm going to apply God's grace to you. I will apply God's grace 
to you. Many of us, we want to experience grace, but many of us aren't willing to extend grace to others. Why? Because we like justice. We want them to pay. The brother hurt me. The sister hurt me. I want justice. God, get them. Am I the only one in here? Right? Most of us, if we're honest, this is what we want, especially when it comes to conflict. But God comes along and says something completely different. Romans 12, 19 through 21. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Like, even if you think they deserve it. But do what? Leave room for what? For God's wrath. Like, God will handle it. For it is written. God says, hey, I'm a big, I'm a big boy. I got this. I got you. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. But on the contrary, this is how I need you to live things out here on this side of heaven. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, I want you to feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Why? Because in doing this, you will heap burnt coals on their head. And some of you are like, this is my life verse, baby. Yes, burn them, Lord. Throw some hot coals on their head. Can you just like bring fire from heaven on them, Jesus? Right? And that's not what this is saying at all. And in fact, when I used to read scripture, I was like, I didn't understand this, but I liked it. All right? I was like, I don't know why I like this so much. But this is not what God's intent. And so think about this for a moment. What is a burning coal? A coal is something that's hot. It brings warmth. Coal was a commodity in their day. Coal was a commodity that brought fire into their home to help them cook meals. Coals are a commodity to help just honestly sustain life from day to day. And if the coals went out in the house, it basically, they lost all ability to sustain life itself. And so what this is ultimately saying is that to heat burning coals is to bless the neighbor. It's to show signs of kindness. It's saying that when those who have hurt you have lost everything, you need to go and take them, the greatest commodity that brings life into their home and into their life. This is amazing to me. It says this beautiful phrase, do not be overcome by evil, but apply God's grace to them. Overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Well, Pastor Red, I just don't think I can do that. And I'd be like, you know what? You're absolutely right. You can't. Unless, unless you're receiving God's grace. See, so you can't give what you've not received. And that's why my friends, my family in this room and online, God is not a God just to be understood. He's a God to be experienced in a very supernatural and powerful, real way. He's real. So our great marriage is possible. Is dealing with conflict and handling it God's way possible? Yes, absolutely. But you got to make some choices. I'm going to act. I'm not going to react. I'm going to focus on the good things in other people the best that I know how. Right? I'm going to apply God's grace to them. And here's number four as we close. But I will also look to me and I will remember God's grace to me. And this is important. I will remember God's grace to me. Because here's what happens when you do. Is every time you remember God's grace in your life and what he's done for you, it's then and only then that it gives you the power and the ability 
to extend grace to other people. To extend grace to other people. So what does that grace ultimately look like? Wrapping this series up down into one verse. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the kind of uncomplicated love we're talking about. This is what this series has been all about. Not that we once upon a time loved God. No, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that they've done to our relationship with God. And then he finishes with this beautiful statement. My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, here's the key, then we certainly ought to Love each other. Will you bow your head and close your eyes all across the room? Nobody looking around. I just want to pray. God, I I want to acknowledge your faithfulness in this room today. I want to say thank you for your presence. And as we've drawn close to you in worship and through your word today, that you're so faithful to draw close to us. And God, as we stand in your presence today, we recognize that with this many people in a room and even online, God, we're dealing with some conflict. We got places in our homes and in our hearts where we've been devastated by pain and conflict and hurt and wounds and words that maybe other people have caused or we have even caused. And for all those who have been hurt or who have hurt, God, I am praying right now in the power and authority of the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, you would begin to breathe healing into every heart and every mind. God, people would begin to experience the hope that is Jesus that begins to just help them take a step to experiencing this love, this grace, this mercy that meets us where we are and that begins to infiltrate every part of our mind and our soul and our spirit with your love. God, permeate our hearts with your love today. Help us, God, I pray. May every single one of us begin to experience your love, begin to experience your grace, and begin to just apply what your word says about loving each other in practical ways and creating safe environments within our home and creating safe environments, God, within our relationships to where we can allow emotions to be expressed on a healthy level in a way that brings honor, not only to you, but to each other, that brings life, healing, and hope rather than hurt and pain and shame. God, may we take these words that we've heard today and may we just begin to just take a step and begin to walk them out, maybe just one small step at a time. Give us the wisdom, give us the ability, give us the strength that happens when we allow you to transform our heart and our lives and our minds by simply aligning our thoughts to yours and changing our thinking around relationships and especially around conflict. God, I thank you for healing hearts today. I thank you for helping us take next steps today in Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, I would be remiss if I didn't give somebody the opportunity to begin a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the son of God. God sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay for your sin and my sin. It was that sin nature we talked about earlier. That sin nature is what separates us from God. Some of you have been like, man, I just feel like God is a million miles away. You want to know why? It's because of sin that we've allowed in our hearts. And we are just one breath, one prayer away from experiencing the freedom of forgiveness. Now, every sin has to be paid for, and God knew that. That's why he made a plan. He never wanted you to pay for it. 
He always wanted to make a plan to remove you from that pain so that he could have a relationship with you. And that plan, that process was Jesus. Jesus died on a cross. He rose again. He ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He is your savior. He's the son of God who frees us from our sin and brings us into a relationship with God. And if you're in this room today or if you're online and you say, you know what, Rhett, I would love to begin a relationship with God. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to experience hope. I want to experience love. And I want to experience this grace that you've been talking about. If that's you right now, could I just encourage you wherever you are online or in the room, maybe to say a simple prayer like this. Now, family, we are a family. Families pray together. And I would encourage every single one of you to pray this prayer with me out loud. Just say, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for wanting to have a relationship with me. Today, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died on a cross to pay for my sin, to bring me into a relationship with you, to free me from my sin, my shame, my guilt, my past, and my pain. Today, I ask you to forgive me, change me, transform me into a new person as I change my thoughts toward you. I submit my life to you. I give you my life because you gave me yours. Help me live this out day by day, step by step, with your help, with your grace and your strength. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Hey, can we celebrate with those who made a decision to follow Christ today? Come on, throw your hands together. Let them know how much you love them.